Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 314. Why are snakes so hard to fold? <laughs> Try that again. Albert, why are snakes so hard to fool? I don't know. Why are they so hard to fool? They have no legs to pull. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> That yeah, that was almost funny, Julius. But thank you. <laughs> almost <laughs> funny. Oh yeah. well, I tried. I tried. Yeah, there we go. All right, so welcome back. This week we are we are talking about a game called Banish the Snakes, hence the snake joke. <laughs> this is a uh, it's a game from GMT Games. It's not exactly a war game, but it's war game like ish. It's a war game. I've seen the pieces. <laughs> Have you, okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a game about bringing Christianity to Ireland, is what it is. And the, the title, Banish the Snakes, is a reference to St. Patrick, who has a reputation that he, he banished all the snakes from Ireland, and after him, there were no more snakes there ever again. The problem with that story is that there are also no snakes there before him, but, you know, that's okay. So, yeah, this is I'm pretty excited about this game. I, uh, I got it from uh, the, their P500, and backed it and all that, and... and it's a cool little game. It's a cooperative game, which is not normal for GMT. They don't normally make uh, cooperative games. This is one of the few they have, maybe the first one even. So I was very excited to get it out. The style of gameplay is similar to a, a pandemic-style game, which, which players do their stuff, and then the game likes to undo the stuff. And that goes back and <laughs> forth until it's over. So yeah, there we go. There is our quick summary. This is a GMT game. GMT games game. Modern GMT games actually come with a mounted board, which is nice. They used to be paper boards. This this has a mounted board. Very nice artwork on it. Um, I like the colors and the style and all that of it. You mean the map is a very nice? Yeah, it's a very nice map. Because there's not that much artwork. On the map? It's just a map. It's just a map, but it works. It's very nice. Um, with I like the lake look of it. It's clean and it's empty. It doesn't need to be a lot on it because... You're moving blocks around on regions, but it's a nice looking map. The board, the board has a border around it. The where the title of the game is on the board, it looks like a like some parchment that's curled up at the bottom. It's just really well designed, I think. That's fair. Simple, pretty, and functional. Besides that, you get a deck of well, a couple of decks of cards. You get a deck of cards for events. It includes cards for the players, cards of the saints. There's, I believe, eight different saints you could pick from when you play. So it has quite a variety. These are actual saints that were in Ireland um, converting Christians and stuff at some point in time around St. Patrick. Each of the saints plays a little bit different, so, so it actually matters that there's so many in there. There's another set of the same saints because you can sh- shuffle some into the deck. There's some other, and there's other cards too. We'll leave it at that. Besides that, there's a green die with a four-leaf clover on it. It's a D6. There's plenty of wooden pieces, about 150 wooden bits total. These include cubes and discs and churches in different styles and blocks. Like tall blocks in which you put stickers on them. And and then it brings a lot of stickers. It's actually about 110 stickers. Actually, no. 110 blocks get stickers, and most of those get stickers on both sides. So when you get the game, you're going to be doing a lot of stickering at first. 
I'm sure that's always fun. And you know, it's it's not terrible. You sit there and you, you just kind of listen to a podcast or, or do something while you're well, doing that. Don't you have to be somewhat attentive to make sure you're doing the right back and front? Yeah, you do. They they do line up. The the stickers are set up so that the front and back are next to each other, and you just kind of do those in pairs. And you, you know, you want to line them up and all that. So you're focusing on what you're doing, but it isn't super heavy focus, so you can do something while you're doing it. <laughs> That's what I found. I, I was listening to podcasts. They're a good size. Some of the things you put stickers on around, some are square. And so that's it for the components. Also a, a box. It's a biggish box about the size of um oh gosh, like say Hallertau, one of the one of the newer big Uwe Rosenberg boxes. Uh Feast for Odin. Think about that. So there you go. That's the components. Um they they all look nice. The cards all have nice artwork, drawings and stuff. I don't think any of these are necessarily original artwork from different historical references. I, th- I think it's stuff based on those, drawn in that style. Um, for example, I was looking at pictures of St. Patrick online, and I found a couple that look similar to the box cover, but not exactly the same. So I got the impression that the artist used those as a model. So there we go. Rules, theme, or gameplay, Julius? Let's do the rules. Let's do the rules. Okay. The rule book, GMT is getting so much better at rule books. <laughs> they really have. It's no longer, well, at least this is a relatively light game, but... It's not like 50 pages of uh, note-style rules with uh, Roman numerals and all that. It feels much more like a regular Euro game kind of rulebook. Lots of pictures. Text is large and easy to read. Um, a picture of the board for the layout and all that. So easy to read, easy to follow. I would say it was all pretty clear. There's a couple questions where things got a little bit confusing. In terms of um, when you're removing some of the cubes on the board and replacing them, or, or some of the blocks, it, it was a little vague on how that worked. And I had to think about it for a while before I quite understood what they meant. And also, there is an example book which helped with that. An example book? Yeah, um, uh, an example of play. GMT generally does this. They'll, they'll always have two books. A rule book and an example of playbook. What do they call it? Maybe I got the wrong one. But it's not a tutorial type thing. It is it's a not walk. a learn-to-play book. Well, sometimes they're learn-to-play. In this case, it's just an example where it says, you know, here's the setup, and, you know, the board was set up, and you got your four players, Bob and Joe and Jill and Mary or whoever, and on his first turn, Bob draws a card, and it is this, and then these are the actions he takes, and it steps you through the first couple of rounds of the game or so. And if you want to play along, you could set up your board, play along, and then it'll say, okay, and then from here, the rest of the game went on, they tell you. And then you would just continue normally. So you could use that to learn, yes. I tend not to look at those too often. I tend to prefer to read the rules. I don't I don't like the tutorial. I didn't see that available online, so I didn't know that was in there. It's called the playbook. That's what they call it. And it's got a, it's got the example of play and it does have a historical background section that tells you about the different saints and whatnot, which is interesting. Out of curiosity, they use an interesting font. And a large portion of the board book headings. Do you have any issues with that? Um, let me look at it. <laughs> Some of it, yeah, it's the word actions on on uh, item number ten. Okay, so it is outlined. Uh, item ten and ten dot one. The ten dot ten dot oh, the the heading is actions, but it kind of looks like um something. 
I, I don't know what it looks like. It's hard to make out. It looks like it ends with HX. Yeah, I have it, uh, issues with and the, the C with, doesn't look like a C. And yeah, so it's 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 fancy and hard to read. Yeah, when the when you value the font being interesting over being readable, it's a red flag to me. But it I had an opportunity yeah. to play it, so it kind of makes you say, "Does this heading actually even matter?" You know, if <laughs> they decide to make it so hard to read. You know, it, and you'll get used to it after a little bit. It's not too bad. The S's looks like X's and stuff, but, you know, I'm I'm able to read it now. Now that I spent a little bit figuring it out. It's actually kind of interesting. Like, I can't make all the letters out in some of the words, but I know what they are because I can make out most of the letters. Anyway, that's only the headings. The actual rules are clear enough. The, the font is clear and easy to follow. It's uh, only, what, 14 pages? The index starts on page 14. Or is on page 14 and 15. And so, including the front and back cover, it's 16 pages. So, yeah, pretty short for GMT. And actually, I mean, that's not that unusual for uh, even a Euro game these days. That was the rules. Any questions about the rules or anything, Julius? Or any other comments other than the funny text? Nope. I'm excited to hear about the theme. Okay. The, so, the theme is about the bringing of Christianity to Ireland in the around 500 400 to 500 AD I guess um it's called Banish the Snakes on St. Patrick St. Patrick is credited for bringing Christianity to Ireland he wasn't the only saint that did that other saints were involved even before him and after him but I think he gets the credit because he did the most work and really got the ball rolling I think and it's it's kind of neat because the rules when you when you I'm going to jump way ahead when you play the game if you do really well it tells you you've saved the world, and cr- because you brought Christianity to Ireland, probably like um, handwriting and and written word is saved in Europe. Because what was happening was this is going on as the Roman Empire was collapsing, right? So a lot of the, and the Roman Empire was Christian, so it was, it was collapsing. Barbarian tribes and whatnot were coming in and taking over United, the Great Britain and and mainland Europe and whatnot to some extent. So it was collapsing and. Cr- Ireland kind of became a bastion of Christianity. So so doing well, you get to save Christianity. That's sort of what the theme is about. The Does it come out in the game? I mean, from what I'm reading, it sure seems to. It does, yeah. All the cards have flavored text and pictures and artwork and all that. So I think it does come out in it, in it pretty well. It does feel like you are spreading Christianity pretty well. You're, you're converting people and flipping them over and converting Keen and whatnot getting druids and converting them and sending them away from the game because they're irrelevant now that they're no longer druidic. So yeah, I think the theme's pretty good. I I liked it. I enjoyed the theme in it. Uh, I found it interesting. I learned a little bit from the, about, from the, about the theme by playing the game. So I'd say it works well. So this game I already mentioned is sort of a uh, pandemic style game. You know, players do good stuff. Game does bad stuff type thing. It, it has a lot of similarities. It has some differences. The game is for one to six players, which is kind of a high number, I think. And they said, we only stopped at six because of the component limit. It was really fun no matter how many people we played with. I cannot imagine playing this with, eight, like, say, six or eight people or something like that because you'd have so few turns and so much time between turns, it wouldn't necessarily be that much fun. Well, I think at that point in time, once it's a co-op, you're supposed to remain involved in everyone's turn. Yeah, but, you know... <laughs> It's like playing D&D with a group of six people. You're going to get to like swing your, your sword twice in, in the fight, and that's going to take like four hours. <laughs> that sort of thing. But, it, I mean, it does work. 
And because it is that style of game, if you're playing solo, you probably want to play multiple characters, not just one. You can play just one, it says in there. I did not try that. I, I went straight to multiple characters. Playing one would have the usual issues of you can't really move around the whole board very quickly and do stuff in different areas. And then you lack some of the interaction between the characters that can happen. So, you know, I played, I think I played two or three, depending on the game. I never, I never tend to do more than three. The way the game works, you're playing on a map of Ireland. The map is divided into four regions. Each of the regions is then subdivided in either two or three areas. Each area has a, a population of peoples and a king. Each region has a, or has a chief, I'm sorry. Each region has a king that rules over the chiefs and the different areas. Each each area besides the chief also has a druid. Um, and then there's also a high king that rules over all of Ireland. The high king at the, um, what is it, at Terra. The, Does he go high king? He does not go. He does not go hiking. He stays he's in the hiking. same spot the whole time. Yeah, he's hiking in place. <laughs> he ha- he Sorry, has he horrible has a, puns. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. He has a high uh, throne actually, which is pretty funny. The game brings a for the kings. It brings a block, and each of the kings just sits on the blocks. You can see it's got a, a, a throne. The high king has two blocks, so his throne is higher than the rest, and he stands out. It, it's kind of funny they did that. Kind of neat. But does it doesn't really have much functionality other than just to make it look neater, I guess. Um. Anyway, so so here you've set up your board. You've got all these druids and people and chiefs and kings on the board. Chiefs and kings are all the same type of block. Just that where they are on the map tells you what they are. the The peoples are a little bit different. All the blocks have a number on them, and it can be a modifier when you try and convert them. The druids have it on one side, the people have it on one side, the kings have it on both sides. One side being a good number and the other one's a bad number. Your goal is to go around the board and convert everybody to Christianity. If you've converted all the people, not the kings, not the druids, just the people, you win the game. Now, the, the thing is, to convert people, the king ha- the, they're affected by their chiefs. The chief has a modifier on him. If he's, if he's still pagan... That modifier is going to be negative and make it harder for you to convert the people. If you convert them to Christianity, the modifier is zero or positive, so it's going to be easier to convert the people. Likewise, the converting the king, the chief is affected by their kings in their region. So the the modifier on the king affects how hard it is to convert the chief, and then the high king works the same. The modifier on the high king affects how hard it is to convert the kings. So if you want to convert the people, you kind of want to start at the top, convert the king, the high king, then the kings, and the chiefs, and the people. It'll be much easier if you could do it in that order. However, only converting the people really matters for victory. The other one, the druids that I mentioned, are they kind of have a, a hold on the religion. You really can't convert anybody if there's a druid counter there that is not yet revealed. Uh, what, what I mean by that, the backside of the druid has a, uh, I guess, a holly leaf. Until you reveal him and see what his modifier is, you can't convert anybody else. Once you've revealed him and you see the modifier, you're welcome to try and convert everybody, anybody else. But those modifiers tend to be harsh. Um, for example, the worst are a minus six modifier. And when you're rolling a d6, there's just no way you're going to succeed if the modifier is minus six. So, so you want to convert him first, then convert the high key, and then the keys, and so on and so forth. 
that's kind of the, the idea of the game. The other thing you could do is you could move around the map by spend each turn you get action points. Oh, I'm going to be jumping around the rules, aren't I? That's what I do in these, <laughs> these talks. <laughs> you, <laughs> I'm, I can't help it. I'm sorry. I've got all sorts of notes, and yet I, I'm going to jump around. Um, you've got your act. Each turn you have your actions. You're going to take actions, which include converting either druids or keens or whatever. You can move around the map going from area to area. You could, if there is no druid, you could raise a church. And when you do that, you just put a little cube on that space where the druid used to be. If there's already a church there, you can make it bigger. Um, and there's different four different stages from the little cube. It goes to a disc. From a disc, it goes to a, a kind of little bit bigger church that looks like a building. And then finally to a taller one that's a, I guess it's a cathedral. And the, there's lots of the little ones, very few of the big ones. And everything in between is somewhere in between. H- having those are nice because they also give modifiers to help you convert positive modifiers there's other things that modify the games i'm not going to get into all those um but they are there the on a a typical turn you're going to take your actions you have a certain number of actions um generally up to four and your actions are going to be things like converting and what now you could also take an action to prepare i guess your preaching or something first or talking to people before you take the role so you could spend an action to convert to, to talk to them That'll give you a plus one modifier. You could do it twice. I'll give you a plus two modifier. And you could do it up to three times if you have four actions. Then you'll take your action for rolling and add up all those modifiers and see if you succeeded or not. If it's a druid, you remove them off the board if you succeeded. If it's a high keen or a keen or a chief, you flip them over to the opposite side. If it's a person, you flip them over to the opposite side. If you still have actions, you could repeat and do stuff like this again. Once you have taken, once all the players have taken their turn, or all the characters have taken their turn, you can you then draw a card from the deck. Actually, that's really the first action, not the last action, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm shaking Julie's my head. shaking off. his head. Well, you know, I was ready to do this Tuesday, but then we weren't able to record, and then I got really sick, and now I've got a bit of a head cold, so my head's a little flighty. Uh huh. Yep. That's that's the reason why. That's ex- that's the only reason why. I'll take I'll take the blame for Albert acting as he normally does, and skipping all over the place instead of yeah, yeah. like proceeding <laughs> through his notes in an organized fashion. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's true. It's it's uh, it's just how it goes. Anyway, so <laughs> I've talked about I've talked about what you do in your turn. Before your turn, you're gonna first draw the bad stuff card. It's kind of neat in this game because the bad stuff cards, the each card on it has a little arrow on the bottom that's either towards the top or the bottom. And when that card affects the next card you play. So the next card, when you flip it over, you put it next to that one. And the arrow points to one of up to five events on the new card. And that's the event you do. So this way, each time you play, it's going to be very different. Just because you get the same cards is the same thing. Sometimes a card could be pretty bad. Sometimes it could be pretty good, just depending on the card before it. You know, they could have done that by having multiple cards, right? Oh, but it would have been a lot more cards. And and it's all thematic. So, like, if, if one of the cards is, about, say, about the um, the the king, you, you try and convert a king's son, the bad effect could be, oh, he got really mad, you did a terrible job, and he he's actually hurt you physically, and you take some, some damage. But the different effects are on a single card are all similar. It's just levels of badness in the same theme. Is what you're saying. In the same theme, yes, exactly. Okay, I misunderstood that. Yeah, yeah. 
So it does it does keep it tied by theme, which is kind of neat. And it's nice when it's kind of fun when you draw the new card and you say, "Oh man, I'm so glad this was at the good end of the spectrum because the bad end would have really been terrible right now." So it's kind of neat to be able to see that as as you play, actually. Anyway, those bad stuff could be often are things like people are getting you, you're removing people from the board. It says, "Oh, from this region, remove two people and replace them with new pagan people." Generally speaking, when you're removing people, you're first removing the ones that are already converted and then the ones that are not converted if, if you need to remove more. So so generally speaking, the board is going to have you take off good cubes or easier bad cubes and replace them with new bad cubes, which may be harder. So that's one of the ways the board does it. It does other stuff, um, changing the keen around some time. All these things basically mean you have to go back now and keep doing more conversions and more work of spreading the Christianity. And as you make progress, things go back. In that deck, you could also find good stuff, though. Once in a while, you draw a saint, which will replace yours if, if yours dies. You could replace him with another saint if you, if you have one tucked away that you drew from the deck earlier. You could also find a couple other good cards that let you cancel bad events and things like that. Another thing you could find is paganism in, in uh, England increases. Basically, I told you at the beginning how, like, Rome had fallen and Christianity is on the decline in the United Kingdom. Every time you draw one of these cards, you advance a marker. As the marker goes through that track, it passes a couple different points. And each time you pass one of those points, you're going to add some new cards back into that deck and shuffle them up. And it's now a little meaner. As different parts of region, uh, as different regions in the United Kingdom, or, or Great Britain, I guess, the main island, turn pagan. The other thing that could happen is, is that track advances. Once it reaches the last space, the game ends immediately. And then you're going to have to check your score and see how you did. So that is basically the flow of the game. Draw bad stuff happens card first, not last. <laughs> Apply its effect. And then every player in order takes their actions. And then repeat the next turn. So very similar to other games of this style. The, the biggest difference is all the players go for every one bad stuff card. No, I think each player goes for each bad stuff card. I'm misremembering. <laughs> yeah, I'm misremembering. <laughs> that makes more sense, honestly, because it's balanced that way so that there's always the same amount of good stuff and bad stuff in a game. Um, that That is the general gameplay. Like I said, you're going to play until the game ends, and it could end either because the paganism in Europe marker advance to the last space or because you completely converted all of ireland to catholic if you converted all of ireland congratulations you've win with the at the highest level of victory basically europe is as it is in real life or if you didn't do that then you check your score by counting how many people you converted how many chiefs and kings you've converted and things like that and check the score track and you know you did less well maybe maybe you lost maybe you won it just depends but things are not as good as they are in the modern world because of you. So there you go. That That's sort of the way the game works. I hope that was clear for everybody. <laughs> Crystal. Chris, <laughs> I'm sure. All right. Are there any questions so far, Julius? So you said that there's like different types of units and you have to capture them in a certain order or something like that. Yeah, they're, they're not units because it's not a war game. <laughs> but yeah, they're... Your goal is to convert the people, right? The regular people. But to convert them, you want to convert the chiefs first. And before you convert the chiefs, you want to convert the kings first. And before you convert the kings, 
you're going to convert the high chief. And before you could do anybody, you have to do the druids. How easy is it to keep track of all of that? Oh, it's pretty easy. It's all on the board. Um, and all the markers are double-sided, so you could see it very clearly what's what. There, There's no trouble looking around and, and seeing where there's a lot of paganism and where there's very little paganism and whatnot. Okay. I find it, yeah, it's very, very simple to keep track. So there are things I really like about this game. Let me find uh, my notes on that. I should have been reading my notes out loud to you people because they're so clear and concise and well-written. I'm really impressed with with it. (laughs) So, okay. So one of the interesting things about this game is your saint can die throughout the game. As you're playing, if you fail a row, you take some damage. It's not physical damage. It's, um, I guess you're a little dejected that you're not doing so well. I forget what it was called, and I did not write down that word. You could take so much damage from these failed rolls, and and events will also affect these your health. If you die, what happens is you now place a little marker on that space, a little cross, and from now on, any rolls you make, you have a plus one modifier, which is really nice. So actually, your character dying can make things easier for you. So sometimes you want to die. Also, as you're taking the damage, little by little, you're going to have fewer actions. So as you're weak, you're kind of thinking, oh man, this it would be helpful if this saint martyred himself and, and died so that I could now get the benefit of him being having a cross there, you know, some sort of monument to him. And then I get a brand new saint that's healthy and stronger doing all his actions and some different abilities than, than what I had before. And so that that is interesting because you're playing and, and you kind of don't want your character to die, but you also find that at some point it's convenient for you or, or beneficial for him to die at the right place and time. So that that is an interesting uh, concept in the game. I like that. I, I remember seeing that in other games. How easy is it to keep track of all the pieces when you're going through that? Like to understand which one you need to get, what's next, things like that. Oh, it's not bad. So you have a, a little player map for your, that you have your card on and you mark your actions on it. And when you draw one of those saints from the deck, you tuck them under the board and you can see it there. And you can tuck up to like three cards, I think four of your playing solo. Or two and three of your playing solo. So, so you see what you have there. If you don't have one there, then you're going to flip your boat over, and then you have an acolyte that is not quite as powerful as a saint and doesn't have a special ability, but at least you have somebody to keep playing with until you draw a, 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 a saint. Or if somebody else has a saint, they could give you that card if you guys are in the same space. And then you could keep going. If you have an acolyte and that acolyte dies, the game ends immediately. And that's a, then you go and check the score. The but I do like that a lot. I mentioned the the cards. I really like how they work, and and how what card came before it affects how mean the current card is. Some one thing I did not like here: some of the cards have a second effect or primary effect, whatever that happens besides the the that one, and it's at the top of the card, right under the title, because of the way it's there and because of the way the text is. I often forget to see it. I just don't see it because I'm looking at the main body and that effect doesn't really stand out on the card. It's it's easy to, enough to miss if you're not used to looking for it. My first few games, I think, I just never saw it and and just didn't apply those. And those tended to be bad effects. So I was making things easier for myself. Still losing, but making it Can't have myself. that happen, now can you? <laughs> <laughs> didn't do much good. So, but yeah, so that is that is one issue I did have with the cards. Oh, yeah. Failing to convert one of those druids can really hurt. It could really, really make the game pretty, pretty hard to come back from. 
when you fail to convert a, a, a I think it's called a doldum gets put on that space now and it is a doldum modifier. I think that was the name. Deal not a doldrum. Nope, not a doldrum. Let me tell you what it is exactly. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, dolmen, D-O-L-M-E-N, which I still don't know what that is. Some sort of <laughs> druidic monument or something. I don't know. Um, but you place that there, and now there's a minus one modifier. If you fail again, it's harder to. It's easier to fail now because of that modifier. If you fail again, you're gonna add a second dolmen. That's even harder again to to succeed. So, and if you get in a situation like that with a negative six druid, one that was already hard to convert in the first place. Things could really snowball and become really hard to convert that area. And I found that when that happened, I kind of had to give up with that area and go somewhere else until I had some way to, to increase my odds, maybe with a card that I had been able to tuck it on my board or, or a new a new saint that maybe had some benefits against the druids. You know, a cut, one or two failures of that and your chances of, of winning are very slim, I think. So I found that kind of frustrating, but, you know, that's okay because it, it kind of gives you something to work with, I think. I still enjoyed the game. You know, it's now it's a new challenge. You're not am I going to win? But how well can I recover? I said I like it. Does it feels like pandemic? I said that it is more complex than pandemic. It's it's not painfully complex or anything. There's just more more things and more types of things to deal with. Instead of just removing a cube, there's different types of cubes you got to remove, and the order you do them can matter and all that. And and adding other things to the board can affect it also. So, so it is more complex than the pandemic, but similar enough that that the comparison is going to be there. Um, I already said the druid conversion is is tricky, the, the and and pretty swingy, especially with all those negative six six druids. <clears throat> the way that the the rolls work, just just to be clear, you're going to roll a d6, and a druid is going to give you a negative modifier or any other pagan. Let's say it's a minus three modifier. If if I'm rolling. The modifier is minus three, and I roll my d6, and I get a, a three. Negative three plus three is zero. That is a failure. I need to have a positive result in the end. So I'd have to roll at least a four minus three to win, to, to win that row. And anything else that modifies it, again, will modify it up or down, but that's how it works. And and those failures can be so swinging, especially with the druids, because they add those dolmens if, if you fail with them. The the other comment is because of that complexity, the game can feel it can feel chaotic from game to game. It's very different and whatnot, and and some games feel like things are just going really well, and others are just really hard. And I guess it has a lot to do with the, a the complexity and b the fact that you're rolling to die to decide the outcome. And a lot of it is managing that that uh, randomness, and you know, you could definitely you could definitely do that. When I played. And and I'm gonna roll. The first thing I want to do in a space where we haven't converted anybody is spend three of my actions to to improve my odds and then roll, so I get a plus three modifier. And and doing stuff like that really helps a lot with that complexity, but also means you're spending a lot more actions just for for one roll. So it's a little bit of a give and take. But that generally is the game. It's really it's really fun. I liked it a lot. I've had fun with it. Um, more complex. The one drawback maybe is that it's also longer than Pandemic. It's, it's going to say it's probably about a 90 minutes, two hours to play. I imagine the GMT game would be longer. Yeah. It, it surprises me how long it is every time. And I don't think it's necessarily just because I'm learning it. The, the learning process definitely made it take longer. But even when, once you've kind of grokked the game pretty well and you're, you're going quickly, it still can take a while, especially when you draw one of the event cards that say there is an attack or raid or something happens and you need to switch 
um, the blocks in the board, you're gonna have to put some of the pull some of the blocks out. Say two, four, six, seven, eight, maybe as many as nine or ten blocks. Take them off the board, draw new blocks from the cup, and put them back in those spaces, and then put the blocks you took off in, back into the cups. So that that can slow things down. And you know, I don't know if there's anything you could really do about that other than to be quicker with your hands, I guess. So yes, Julius, that is that is banish the snakes. Outcastly, do you enjoy the theme? Um, I I am not specifically moved by the theme. I thought it was an interesting theme, and I enjoyed learning about it. But it, it was a fine theme. <coughs> Somebody like uh, my wife, for example will not play Pandemic because she is very uncomfortable with the theme of that game, even before the uh, COVID outbreaks. But she might play something like this. So this this would be good for somebody like that that doesn't care at all for Pandemics. I see. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have a reaction to it, but I imagine that my reaction is born more of you know, the fact that I'm Jewish uh, uh-huh. as opposed to anything else. So... I was curious what your reaction to that was. The theme didn't matter to me. It, it, it's a war game, like you said. It's a war game. The <laughs> the admission. <laughs> Do you find the th- the theme turns you off or yeah. is interest? Okay, I could definitely see yeah, that. I mean, that that is the one thing about the theme. It could t- it definitely turn people off. I could see if you're not Christian, I think you would not like it. I know religious games in general can be very hit or miss because of things like that. There's a game that I'd love to cover someday, sooner or later. A victory point title called AD thirty that was very controversial because in that game you're you're playing taking Christ through oh I forgot it's been so long since I played I forgot exactly what you're doing but you're kind of controlling Christ in the game and I know people had issues with that because the it, it could be very sacrilege to to pretend to be God right that's not something people want to do and so that game could be very off putting if if you have that mindset. Yeah, religious games in general, touchy, touchy, hit or miss subject, and it's always interesting what's gonna come out and if it's gonna work or not. I hear that. I'm. I mean, that's just where I was coming from, and I've certainly had that reaction to other games, both you know, plus and minus. There have been a couple of games that have just left my shelf because they touched a little bit too close for it for me. I just felt uncomfortable about it. Yeah, and, and this this is one that you know I I don't have a positive feeling towards because of that thematic set. And that's just the way yeah, it is. That makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's, that's going to be true about any game ultimately, right? The the theme could, could be a turn on or a turn off for anybody. And, yeah. And some themes just like, oh, I don't even want to go there. Just, just I don't like it. But I was just curious how it, how it worked with you. Yeah, no, it was fine. But I think there's one thing that's definitely a thematic miss for me. Oh? Yeah, there's no knights because then you can't have a serpent in here. yeah no there's i'm sorry there's no knights so no serpent (laughs) all righty well i think that about covers everything for us then albert all right thank you julius Uh, until next time have a good night bye-bye
Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.